field of dreams, learning the law of sowing and reaping. The Lord has given me another example, another target to shoot for in my life by the story that I heard this past Thursday. I was sitting in a class as a man was talking about preaching, developing sermons and preaching them. He talked about his dad, who was a pastor, who preached three sermons a week. His dad is now in his mid-80s and has suffered a major stroke. He is in rehabilitation because he lost all of his ability to walk through that stroke, and he's regaining some of that strength. He, he lost most of his sight. He lost his ability of coherent thought. And so he is in rehabilitation. And this past week, they put a peach in his hand. And they asked him the question, what is that? He said, I don't know. They said, what comes to your mind? He said, that I don't know what that is. But I know that I feel sorry for anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. This past week, he walked 30 yards, the farthest he's walked since the stroke. And his nurse told his son, it was the most amazing experience because as they walked, she heard him talking. And she said it was coherent, it was amazing, and she said, I listened, and it was all about King David. And she said, I realized... He's preaching a sermon that he's preached before. That moved me in this kind of way that, Lord, may I be so careful to sow the seeds of your word in my heart that if I reach a place where I have no abilities to fully function and I only have a very few coherent thoughts may they be all about you and all about your word the nurse said we now call him preacher man because the only speaking he does is the word and sermons that are coming out of not his mind he's planted it far deeper than that he planted it in his heart and when you plant it there I don't care what comes your way by circumstance. Nothing can disrupt the harvest on the seed of God's holy word planted in our hearts. Praise him today if you want to be that kind of person. I do. I do. Quickly, the conviction came that if that's my desire, I will not end up there by default. Only by design. I will not end up there by neglecting this law or being casual with this law. I will be there by being intentional. God wants our relationship to be strong with Him, strong within our family, strong within our finances, and that's a target. But we will not end up there on purpose or by chance, we will only end up there on 
purpose. Good news today is this. Today we stare at our future like a farmer staring at a field at planting season. I want you to see that statement. Notice, today we stare at the future like a farmer staring at a field at planting season. With the story of this dear preacher and with this awareness of the law. Be reminded what Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Five years from now, you and I will be somewhere. Will we be there by design? Will we be there by intentional actions, by God-honoring, sowing, and reaping? Will we be at a stronger place within our walk with Jesus, within our relationships, within our finances, or a weaker place? The choice is really up to us because God is faithful. He will do His part. It's whether or not we will sow according to the Spirit to reap the kind of strength that's within the dynamic seed sown in a godly way. None of us question that Olympians arrive at the World Games in the best of shape, ready to execute out of a God-given gift that has been honed over many, many seasons of discipline and sacrifice, hard work and perseverance. None of us look at the Olympian and say, How did they just arrive here with the ability to outrun everyone else in the entire world? Can he just outswim everyone else in the entire world because he's just able to do that? He just showed up? Or is it the result of sowing many, many, many hours in disciplined preparation to then reap a harvest of great significance. You know the answer. I know the answer. Here's the point. All of us will end up somewhere. Will we end up somewhere by design? This message has huge implications. But it starts with something so very small. As small as the seed. Here's the question. This is what I want you to take away from this message. Before I ask the question, let me just say there's something powerful about a carefully crafted question. I was thinking about this, the story of Steve Jobs going to the then chairman of the Pepsi Corporation. He looked at that man. Steve Jobs wanted to hire him. You know Steve Jobs was the former CEO of Apple. Steve Jobs looked at the CEO of the Pepsi Corporation, and said, do you want to make carbonated beverages for the rest of your life? Here's the carefully crafted question. Or do you want to change the world? And the guy said, well, I want to change the world. He said, then come work for me. How many of you know that that CEO of Pepsi was glad he went to work for Apple? A carefully crafted question can, can put you in a place where your answer could alter the rest of your life. 
and they don't have all this complexity. You don't have to really get the Greek on what's being said. You don't have to say, what does that mean by what it says? Sometimes people speak to us and we say, what is he saying by what he's saying? We, we have to read between the lines. We understand that. These carefully crafted questions don't have to be difficult. There's no need for a hidden meaning. Just put it out there and our response can be life-altering. So here it is. Are you willing to start where you are with what you have? That's the question. Now, as you consider this, the, be encouraged that God is for you. Can you say amen? The devil's against you, but God's for you. He is absolutely on your side. That means a lot. God wants you to live a life of significance. The devil wants you to live a life of insignificance. God puts in you, because of his desire for you to live a life of significance, he puts in you a righteous desire for more, to expand, to grow. And with that desire, he gives you a law, not a principle, that may work in certain seasons or not, certain cultures or not. He gives you a law that will work. So with that righteous desire for more that he puts in you, he then gives you the law of sowing and reaping, which is the strategy to end up somewhere on purpose. It comes back to the question, so are we willing to start where we are with what we have? We'll let Haggai challenge us as we come to an answer with this question. Haggai, Old Testament book. If you have your Bibles, would you go there? Old Testament, if you have a hardback New Living Translation, you're going to find it around page one, or 753 in the Old Testament. It's toward the end of the Old Testament because this is the group of leaders that had an assignment of trying to finish the task of Israel's deliverance. The context is that Israel was once in captivity, but God led them out of captivity. As God led them out of captivity, he gave them a leader by the name of Nehemiah, a leader by the name of Ezra. Nehemiah and Ezra led Israel in rebuilding the broken down wall and kind of reestablishing the function of a city. But then the temple, the house of the presence of the Lord, needed to be rebuilt. And so a series of leaders came along to try and get Israel to finish the job. To continue to grow and move forward. And by the time Haggai comes on the scene, God sends the strongest of rebuke to Israel for their disobedience. Even though they were out of captivity and had a rebuilt wall, he was rebuking them because his house still laid in ruins. Their stewarding of his presence was being neglected and compromised while they built all of these other areas and aspects of their life. And so Haggai comes with this strong, straight rebuke. And Israel listened. 
Praise God. Verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 6 of Haggai chapter 1. It's just two chapters. Here's verse 6. You've planted much but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Do you see that these people are hard at work, but there's a deep, real frustration in their life? They're hard at work for significance, but they're remaining at a place of insignificance. The return on their effort is so far less than their effort that they are frustrated, and so God sends a word, and the word clarifies, you are sowing, because everybody does. And you're reaping the result of the motive and the level of which you are sowing. And if it's ever going to be put right, you're going to have to start with what is first. This was such a strong word to Israel. And let me show you how it flows. This is verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shotiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. The message was, you're building your life but you're not stewarding the presence of God. You now have a home of luxury, but my home, my, the house of my presence, the temple still lies in ruin. Who is the temple? As the word of the Lord unfolds and we come into the New Testament reality. Who is the temple? We are. Put it into context. See the type and picture in this Old Testament of a New Testament reality. If we neglect the first place, the temple of God's presence and the stewarding of His presence, and yet we're working hard at everything else, we will still have this misery and frustration and God's involved in that trying to get our attention so that we set things right. So when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. Don't miss this. I am with you, says the Lord. Now I went into a a study on just that phrase, I am with you, says the Lord. In this context, what are you conveying, Lord? Here it is. After there, Israel's humble surrender to the strong rebuke, God says to them, I am with you, which develops this, this picture. It is God saying, I'm not finished with you yet. It is God saying, anything that the enemy has done, I, says the Lord, can undo. It is the Lord saying, wake up, O Israel. Your greatest days are in front of you. After the captivity, after the years of bondage, after years of being stuck 
in that same place, in that same routine, in that same mentality, after years that have been lost, God says, the word of the Lord is that your best days are still in front of you. Hmm. It is the Lord saying, I have the power to bless you. And I put all of those together, and this is what I say. Here's what I make of that. To the assembly and everyone that is here today and everyone that is a follower of Christ that's been a part of this journey, I say by what I believe is the word of the Lord, it's a new season. But the question, are you willing to start where you are with what you have? What was the result of the Lord's word of rebuke that was followed with humility and repentance and obedience? Here's what happened. Look at verse 14. So the Lord, I love this phrase. I'm going to build a whole message on these next three words. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm. What does it mean when the Holy Spirit sparks your enthusiasm? So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shotiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, who's the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole church, the whole remnant of God's people. They then began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of King Darius's reign. Put it into our context, no one's left out in this fresh work of the Holy Spirit in response to their obedience. Everyone had this enthusiasm. In our context, it would be every pastor, every deacon, every single person, everyone was included in this fresh work of God. Now, it delivers us into chapter 2. And there are, chapter 2 is so good. Read it and reread it. Verse 2, he poses this. Does anyone here remember this house, this temple in its former glory. So remember, the temple is in running. He's saying, do you remember what it used to be? And he's saying, do you remember the power? Do you remember the splendor? Do you remember the glory? And many of them could say, yes, we do. We do. We remember how it used to be. Before the bondage. Before the the trap, the, the heavy-handed influence of the enemy in our life. We remember what it was like. And so the Lord says, well, how in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. Life's just not what it used to be. Now, here we go. Are you ready for verse 6? Well, boy, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. In just a little while, 
I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Within my temple, I can remember a better day. And there has been a loss of focus that has led to seed sown, that has led to a harvest of brokenness and, and messiness. And now I have heard the word of the Lord. He's challenging me. He's dealing with me. And I'm saying, all right, I, I get it. And I, I submit myself to you. The Lord says, well, hear me now. I'm with you. And there's not a thing that has happened that I can't handle and that I can't undo. And I'm not finished with you. And your best days are in front of you. God says, matter of fact, my work, my presence, my glory in you now is going to far surpass anything you've ever seen. Now that should get a strong strong sense of gratitude out of all of our hearts. What is the Lord saying? He's saying the future will be the best ever. I love reading this two-chapter book because again and again, and God declares it and he sparks enthusiasm. Now this next section of Haggai says... This, if you, if you have a New Living Translation, it says right before you get into this next se- uh, section, blessings promised for obedience. And it's incredible. One reason, let me put you into a sense of context for those people. One reason that they didn't rebuild the temple is because they didn't feel they had enough. They thought there wasn't enough to do that project as well. And what the Lord is teaching them here is that enough, and and we need to hear this, is not contingent on our resources, but on our obedience. Obedience with what you do have, with where you are starting today, is all God needs. And until we start where we are with what we have and quit making excuses, well, I don't have time to really... I I don't have the kind of life that allows me to do the things that I know are really first things. Until we quit making any excuse and start where we are with what we have and realize it's not about what I have. It's about obedience with what I have and watching that God can do so much. See, the whole thing is not the power of the seed, but really it's about the power of God. God throughout the whole Bible 
he, he did so much with so little, and it was never so we would just look for a sack lunch. It was never so that we would just look for a donkey's jawbone like Samson did to fight evil people. It's never so we'd go looking for a slingshot. It's that we would look at what a great God who could do so much with so little. And so we wouldn't make excuses for where we are if there's a lot of, uh, of whatever. Start where you are with what you have in obedience to God because God's ability to grow this harvest of your dreams is not limited to your resources. So they surrendered to God and obeyed God and God blessed them beyond imagination. Here's what the Lord said. We just read it. He said, understand, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. You're sitting there saying we don't have enough. Have you forgotten who has it all? So get out of this this scarcity mentality and quit using that as an excuse and learn that God first living will be blessed beyond anything that you could ask, think, or imagine. Just put me first says the Lord, and I will show you glory like you've never seen because I've got it all. I have the gold. I have the silver. I own all the cattle. I can make it happen, but you got to put me first. Wow, it's amazing. Oh, chapter 2, and I'm going to run out of time. Chapter 2, they get into this great discussion that if a priest on his way to make sacrifice has the sacrifice ready, and he bumps up against the bread and the wine. Does the holy, just touching something that's unholy, make it holy? And the answer is no. He said, all right, we're on our way. Because God says, get the priest, because I need a decision on this. Because my people need to hear this. He says, okay. If that which is holy touching the unholy doesn't make the unholy holy, does something unholy touching the holy make the holy unholy? Yes. What's the context here that would give us the message? It's this. Bad things just happen by default. Only good things come as a result of intentionality. Something good touching something bad doesn't make the bad good. You've got to work with the bad. And you've got to see it transformed. Just coming to church doesn't make me a strong follower of Jesus. Just being in this atmosphere doesn't make me. If it, it, Kelly and I have such a, 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 an incredible heritage. We have parents and grandparents that serve Jesus, but their spirituality does not make us holy. Because that only comes by personal choice. But isn't it interesting, because of a sin nature, we can be bad so easily. We can be corrupted. You don't have to set out to be evil. If you don't set out to do well, 
and to live for God, that is a casual approach. And by that approach, you're drifting. And drift is a seed sown that harvests greater separation from the priorities of God. So the Lord is saying to Israel, don't make excuses. Start with where you are with what you have. And know nothing good happens by just wanting it to happen. The only way something good happens if you take action with what you have according to the word. So when they, when they obeyed God and started doing what they were supposed to do, even though it was very little, man, God said, don't dare despise the day of a small thing. Because you forget who owns it all. And when you watch me bless the smallest action, then you're going to see it become amazing. But it's not going to happen with you just being idle and wanting it to happen. It happens by virtue of action. And I I hope we can track on that. So here's verse 9. I mean, verse 19 of chapter 2, and I'm, I'm going to close. I'm giving you a promise now. Watch this while the seed is still in the barn. So what I'm saying to you is the future is before you like a farmer's field at planting time. So our future is before us. Our seed is in the barn, seed that we're going to plant. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees. Have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, watch this, I will bless you. Wow. They, because their heart was right and they were going to move toward action, God was already assigning the promise and the result of those kind of actions. There's not a person in here that doesn't have a promise of the Lord to you. It's whether or not you will then act on the plan of sowing and reaping in accordance with the promise to move into the field of your dreams. So here's what it says in verse 20. On the same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn the chariots and riders. The horses will fall and the riders, riders will kill each other. And this is what I want you to see as we close. Notice, as they are... Hearing the word, responding in obedience, and going to take action with what they have. Notice the activity of God beyond their ability in a far greater scope. God's going to start taking out enemies that they will not even have to fight. God's going to cause their Israel's enemies to turn on each other. God's going to send such confusion into the enemy's scheme and plan that they will destroy one another. See, that's supernatural. Natural is I just start where I am with what I have. That's the natural. And when I do that in obedience to God, making no excuses, just honoring God at his word, then that's when super gets in the natural. And a little seed produces an incredible harvest. And God is out there in my future, in my field. He's defeating enemies that I won't even know about until I get to heaven. And God lowers the giant screen and does the highlight reel of my life and says, watch what I was doing as you were honoring me. I was out in front just keeping away, keeping the path available so you could walk there in. I'm the way maker. It's amazing. Praise the name of the Lord. 
you know what I hear when I see this point? I hear another one of these prophets who was pleading with the people. Hosea is his name. He said, if you will sow righteousness. Now listen to the next part. He says, God will come and reign righteousness. If you'll just do what you can, then the supernatural will start happening. And you start living a life where the line between the natural and the supernatural literally gets blurred. And you're going, this is beyond anything I could have ever imagined. This is the life I dreamed about. Filled of dreams. The point it's a new season. The promise, I will bless you. Nothing the devil has done. Something God can't undo. God is with us. The plan, simple. Obedience, that's the plan. The result, Future glory. How shall we say it? The best is yet to come. That's how we say it. The result? God is going to bless your actions of seed sowing, no matter how small. The result? God is going to be out there fighting for you and defeating enemies you'll never know anything about. So I'm listening to this preacher whose father was a preacher saying that even in this situation that he's in now, the only thing coming out is that which has been placed at the deepest level, and that's God's word. And I said, Lord, I really would like that depth of relationship with you. And I heard the Lord say to me, then start where you are with what you have. With your eyes closed, how will you answer that question? Will you start where you are with what you have? If the answer is yes, why don't you lift your hand as a sign of your commitment? Lord, with our hands up, a heart of surrender, we would like to thank you that we stand before our future like a farmer stands before a field at planting season. Attached to our expectation of a great future is the promise that if we will do what you've told us to do, we are going to reap more than we could ever imagine. And you are going to work in supernatural ways 
as we are doing what we can do like sowing righteousness, you're going to reign righteousness. You're going to expand it. You're going to multiply it. So we're very hopeful today because you're with us and you are for us. You're not against us. You're for us. And if we will hear you as Israel did and we will be a steward of your presence if we will be careful to seek you first then in all the other areas we won't have that frustration and sense of of need and problems those areas will be taken care of if we will first of all steward our passion for your presence We hear you today, Lord. We hear you. And we say yes to what you are saying to us. As your eyes are closed in God's presence, the starting place, as I said earlier in this service, is a relationship with Jesus, to know who you are in him. And if you have never accepted him as your personal savior and you would like to do that which is the most important decision you'll ever make it activates this process of a life of significance because you have a God who's created you for significance you have to be in relationship with him if you desire him desire to know him desire to have your sins forgiven to have your life changed and the opportunity to move into the field of your future and watch the dreams develop, just raise your hand right now. You're saying to me, I need to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. Is there anyone who would surrender to that leading of the Lord in your heart right now? I'll wait just a moment. All right. Now everybody stand and let's declare this word in this very song and I want you to sing it with passion let's sing it today it's a new season yes it is it's a new